and this is Stacey Young, Area Manager Beijing at the Swedish Chamber of Commerce in China. Welcome and listen to our 10th episode of Swedish Podcast. Right now, I'm sitting in a very cozy office with some traditional Swedish and Chinese art decorations at one of our member companies, SCB Beijing office. We're located in Lamachal area. SCB is a leading Nordic corporate bank and also one of Swedish gold corporate partners. So I'm so delighted to introduce you to our today's guest. Mr. Peter Lin Venerus, the chief representative at SCB Beijing office since 2016. Peter has been working at SCB for almost 16 years and 10 months. Long experience of working with emerging markets within all product areas and started his career in Peru. He has previously worked as the head of SCB branch in France, as well as head of the SCB office in Brazil. Peter has the expertise in corporate banking, project and trade finance, cash management, emerging markets, an active board member at Swedish China, as well as a frequent invited speaker to important business conferences and high-level forums. Peter is also a great father of three talented teenagers. The whole family has been living here in Beijing for five years. So welcome to podcast, Peter. And thank you so much for having me in the office. Well, thank you for for inviting me to the podcast. And it's our pleasure to to welcome you here. Thank you. Uh, So in my introduction, you have worked in such different countries and experienced different cultures. Uh, like France, Brazil, and Peru, all sounds exotic and uh, splendid. Could you share some of your unforgettable stories in your early days before you came to China? Yeah, definitely. When I, as you mentioned, I started in Peru uh, many years ago, and at that time, uh, Peru was really going through some very difficult times. Mm-hmm. There was a guerrilla movement called the Shining Path, Sendero Luminoso in Spanish. And when I came there, I thought that I could uh, learn some Spanish uh, on the spot for a while, but start with English. Yeah. But when I had my one of my first meetings uh, with a foreign bank there, uh, discussed some problems I had already known about in, in Stockholm, and then I realized when the meeting started, nobody spoke English. So I had to <laughs> very quickly learn Spanish. And that's, of course, a lot easier than learning uh, Mandarin. But, uh, and the good thing that I was there uh, quite uh, interested working in, in a Peruvian bank called Banco Dental. Mm-hmm. But not only was there uh, a guerrilla uh, controlling some parts of the country, but there was also in the, in, I was there for three years. And after two years, inflation rate was 6,000% per year. Oh. And as a banker, that is quite complicated. In, in, and we were providing loans and loan, those loans were always too small and had to be adjusted. The inflation rate and also financial analysis was uh, almost impossible. Mm-hmm. But uh, we did a lot of business in Peru. There, Peru, there's uh, traditionally been a lot of Swedish companies because it's a mining country oh. uh, and many of the Swedish industry. Yes, Sandvik <laughs> and Amaskopko and others yeah. were there. And it was also so that Volvo had almost a monopoly on the track manufacturing in Peru. So there were a lot of, there was a lot of business, uh, quite challenging. 
very interesting. And of course, uh, I got to know the Peruvians quite well. Uh, yeah. Very integrated into the local culture and local society, which was very easy. It's a very welcoming country. Mm-hmm. And also with delicious food. And I'm happy to see now uh, that the world is finally starting to appreciate uh, uh, food. And, and according to many classifications, more than four of the 10 best restaurants in the world are actually in Lima. Now. So wow. depending on how you look at it, Peruvian food is a very nice mix with some Asian touch and European and then Latin American, a lot of fish and seafood, yes. which I like a lot. But it was uh, very exciting times and um, and uh, you really had to adapt to the situation a lot. Mm-hmm. For a while, when the crisis was really deep. There was, for instance, a, a tax on all debits of 2%. So if you would debit your account, that was a 2% tax, which made it extremely expensive for yeah. companies to move money between accounts, which meant that they reverted to using cash instead. Okay. So uh, one of my uh, tasks uh, during that period was to go down to the big vault of this bank and try to persuade them to use their cash for my clients. And that was uh, a lot of cash they had to bring trucks in to <laughs> ship around. That was quite a different experience. Uh, I lived there for three years, but I continue to go back for many, many years. And I still have a lot of very good friends there, which is nice. Great. So uh, you also have an office there. Um, We had an office at the time. Yeah. yeah. Great. And uh, after all these experiences started in Peru, and then you got the offer and opportunity to come to China. So what was your first reaction and also the biggest concern? Uh, And do you think uh, any of your previous uh, working in different countries really has helped you to adapt to Chinese culture quicker? Uh, I think so. I mean, as you mentioned, I also worked in Brazil and also in France. uh, And I've also lived for five years in the U.S. uh, And for shorter periods in other countries, too. Mm. So, of course, uh, every move you make. And my father was um, um, a military officer. So and and then we as a family already as a child, I got used to moving around. and, Mm. And it's it can be quite tough, but it's also rewarding. And I thought, think the move, more moves you've been you've made, the more used to, and the more you know sort of the tricks, yeah, to get integrated and how to get to know people and how mm. to get established. But I think I'm a quite a curious person, so I enjoy the challenge of, of uh, learning how to manage in a different culture, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's it's stimulating. And of course, I do. I mean, that's why I've chosen this uh, career path. Uh, to have the experience of living in many different countries. But of course, China, it was very exciting to move to China. I've been here uh, many times before for work and also as a tourist once. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a fascinating country with a huge um, potential and an interesting mm-hmm. uh, place to work. Okay. Great. As we all know, Beijing 2022 Olympic Winter Games was held successfully early this year. So what's your favorite winter sports game uh, in Sweden? <laughs> yeah, I love, I, I really like winter sports. And as I told you that I moved around with my family as yeah. a child, and I actually spent five years living close to the Arctic Circle, which was a very oh. important military base at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, the, the winters were quite long. 
uh, and this was a fairly small place, so sports was important to to pass your time. Yeah. Uh, so I then I did a lot of um, cross country skiing. Wow. Cool. <laughs> uh, in in the forest around that place, and also uh, downhill skiing. So I still enjoy uh, both going into the forest on cross country skis as well as. Uh, skiing down a slope and of course going to the Alps is really nice too and it's also fun to watch these sports and I was really uh, hoping that we'd be able to to uh, attend the Olympic Games but unfortunately COVID yeah. put his job to that it would have been great that this is the first time I live in a place where, where the Olympic Games actually take yes. place so it, I was pretty sad not to be able to um, yeah but good you have uh, really enjoyed uh, like a very nice time, uh, you know, in Sweden. Yeah. Um, what did you do during Winter Olympics Games in Beijing then? Well, we had to watch it on, on TV <laughs> mostly. Uh, and it was fun. I think Sweden did pretty okay. So um, uh, that was nice to see. The Norwegians are always the best. Very impressive. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I think that... Uh, the Chinese government was able to to manage their games quite well despite uh, the problems with COVID. So, but it was a lot of nice events to to watch. But as I said, it would have been more fun to watch them yeah. in person. But that's yes. the way things are. Okay. Hopefully next time, yeah, probably um, the Winter Olympic Games could be held in Sweden. When yes, you go back I'd like to your we tried many time. times, but no, no <laughs> luck so far, but that would be really nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I know you have been working as SEB for almost 17 years, and it's quite oh. common to be very loyal to a Swedish or Nordic companies because of its unique company cultures. Uh, I heard at SEB, if anyone worked more than 15 or 20 years, uh, this employee can be rewarded with a decent and expensive watch. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. And actually, it's even more than 17 years. But uh, I, I do have one watch, which wow, uh, nice. is quite nice. And of course, uh, these yeah. days, there's quite a selection. So you can have a watch or you know, something. It's a kind of Swedish brand or? No, it's a, I think it's a Swiss brand. Wow. Sounds it's, very it's luxury. Nice, nice, uh, <laughs> Uh, things to things to remember, but mm. then of course there are different options for for people with, with different tastes. Yes, great. But I think um, that it's been uh, to me uh, it has not been boring to stay with the same companies. I used I like to say that uh, instead of changing uh, living in Stockholm and mm. changing different banks, there are uh, a few uh, different banks and obviously foreign banks in Stockholm, so it's quite possible to move around there. But yeah. I think. For me, the change has actually been bigger because I have maybe not changed company, but I have changed countries and yes. all the types of jobs that I have. Yeah. So um, that's been both rewarding and challenging. And for somebody uh, who wants change, that's been uh, yeah, that has been uh, providing that change for me. Yeah, very good aspect. question for you. So how to keep yourself always motivated at work all through the years? And what do you do when you cope with the challenges and um, high pressure, especially during this COVID? I think I would say that COVID has been one of the biggest challenges in many ways, not only for me, but I think for mm -hmm. most people, and not only here in China, but all over the world. Yeah. Uh, 
And I'm a people person. I think I like to meet people and interact with people. Uh, and uh, doing away with all that is, of course, uh, then you have to make more an effort to keep up the energy. So you have to keep calling people and talking to people yeah. and, uh, and make sure that you have your projects and you have to be more disciplined and otherwise, because otherwise uh, events can sort of force it. But um, uh, it's been uh, challenging for all of us, I think, to, to keep yeah. up the energy. And we can definitely see that among my colleagues in Shanghai who have been uh, in lockdown yeah. for more than two months now. And of course, yeah. that takes its toll on anybody. Yeah. And we just had a... Uh, I've been quite involved in the European Chamber yes. these years here in China. And um, uh, we just had a, a talk now between all the banks and... and uh, Everybody has been struggling. Yeah. Many banks have been working hard with providing food and mm. and also keeping up the, the mood of everybody. And I know that you and your chamber have been doing yeah. a lot of great events to, Thank you. to, to make sure uh, that yeah. lockdown is up. mood yeah. booster. <laughs> yes, I think that's very important. But it is mm. challenging for all of us. Tomorrow is actually June 1st. We heard a lot of great news. So Shanghai will be opening again since tomorrow. So hope everything will go smooth. <laughs> we definitely hope so. Um, referring to this talk we had this um, morning, uh, of course, a lot of people are skeptical because the different neighborhood committees, mm. because there have been uh, a lot of announcements in Shanghai before. Yeah. Uh, and the neighborhood committees or the individual compounds have not always um, complied with us, but mm. they prefer to be much more cautious. Yeah. So we, we are calling all our colleagues to see if they will be able to leave their compounds as has been promised. But yeah. um, it remains to be seen. So I think all of us are a bit more cautious, uh, <laughs> judging from the experience we've had already with some of the mm. announcements by the city government in Shanghai, which have not been followed completely by the yeah. districts and uh, compounds. We'll see. Yeah, we keep we'll our see. fingers crossed. Yes, finger crossed. Uh, so next question is in April last year. Uh, thank you and the SCB team for arranging a, a seminar for our company members with Mr. Jacob Wallenberg to reflect on the experiences of the past year and opportunities for business in APAC region. The Wallenberg family are a prominent Swedish family. European's most powerful business dynasty. Uh, some of big Swedish companies, uh, also our company members, are part of uh, Wallenberg family business like ABB, Ericsson, uh, AstraZeneca, Scania, SAS, Electrolux, SSAB, and SEB, etc. Uh, so could you share with our audience a bit more about the history of Wallenberg family business and its close connection with SEB? Yes, of course. Uh uh, well, the bank SCB, which is, uh, has, is of course the result of a number of mergers with many, many different smaller banks in Sweden. And the last big merger was uh, in the early 70s with Scandinavia Bank. And so, but it originally was Stockholm's Enschilda Bank, which was founded by a man called Andre Oscar Wallenberg in 1856. Mm. So the Wallenberg started their, their uh, businesses with the bank. Yeah. And then uh, as the bank became, uh, of course, it had its early problems, almost went bankrupt a couple of times, but they grew stronger and stronger. And then they got more and more involved uh, with different Swedish companies. And I think they were quite uh, wise and also forward looking. And they were really uh, investing in what they saw as the future of Sweden and future of business. So 
for a while, they really went into to the railroads, which was uh, very modern at the time. And, and as they were becoming less important, they exited that and went into other business. They were uh, founders of SAS, for instance, as you mentioned. Mm. Uh, but they've been very active, particularly with exporting companies in Sweden for many, many more than 100 years. I mean, more than 150 years, actually. Uh, and it all started with the bank. Yeah. And the bank was then often uh, quite an important shareholder and partner uh, mm-hmm. of these businesses. And that's what we try to continue in that tradition, not as a shareholder anymore, uh, because it became, uh, it was not allowed in the early uh, 20th century for a bank to hold shares for a longer period oh. in a company. Okay. And then uh, there was uh, an investment company called Investor established where the Wallenberg yeah. shareholdings were then put. Um, but uh, the bank has continued uh, within uh, the Wallenberg Square and uh, our chairman now is uh, Marcus Wallenberg, mm-hmm. who is, so we still have a family member there and uh, yeah. through their foundations, they are the most important shareholder of the bank, but they by far are not a majority shareholder, of course. Uh, but we like to, to still focus on helping uh, Nordic and European companies. So we've expanded our markets also, not only in the Nordic countries, but also Germany. And most recently, we've also expanded to Austria, Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Netherlands, and also the UK, mm-hmm. which are our corporate home markets as well now. And uh, okay. the strategy is pretty much the same since the bank was established by this man, Andre Oscar Wallenberg. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> so what? Um, so when we talk about the SEB, so what are the um, big business opportunities and the challenges you can see for your clients, uh, especially here in China? What does SEB can do to help? Well, we think one of the major challenges for business uh, right now, and, and also an opportunity, of course, is the green transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and SCB decided very early, on, very early on to be in the forefront. So the first green bond was actually launched by SCB together with the World Bank many years ago. And uh, now they, it's become very common and they're also blue bonds for water projects. They're social bonds and educational bonds, etc. cetera. Uh, but we see uh, in the beginning, the interest was quite uh, small from our corporate clients, but now uh, we see a very strong interest and we have, of course, a very strong ambition to also look over our credit portfolio mm-hmm. to phase out those clients that do not have a plan to become green. Obviously, we all realize that we cannot become green and sustainable overnight. Mm-hmm. So it's a question of having a plan, investing into a more sustainable future. Yeah. Uh, and we would say we will want to support not both in terms of capital, but also in terms of strategy and ideas. Um, and structure to support our clients in this transformation. So that is one of the definitely one of the biggest challenges. Then we have also seen more recently other challenges such as um, the trade flows, sustainable supply chains, uh, because we've seen uh, unfortunately both due to COVID and to other reasons, um, problems of transportation, etc., that supply chains have been disturbed. Uh, so we're seeing maybe, uh, it's too early to tell, but maybe some different uh, investment patterns with um, some companies reshoring or nearshoring, uh, moving production uh, or sourcing and purchasing uh, closer to um, the end consumer. 
Uh, it's too early to tell. We still see huge trade flows out of China, and we don't see any of our clients moving out of China. But I think that um, people will look more carefully at sustainable supply chains to make sure that they are not without material, whether it's uh, parts and pieces or uh, raw material. Mm-hmm. So they need to close down the factory, which has been happening a lot recently. Yeah, yeah. So to continue that topic uh, or question, uh, actually, SEB is recognized as a pioneer in the green bound market through a close collaboration with the World Bank in 2007 and 2008 in the creation of the World Bank's first green bond, which was the start of institutional investors' activation of mainstream of portfolios for climate investments, uh, such an initiative. Uh, how does the green bond work to help companies and any good example to share? Yeah, we've seen um, the first investors into green bond were mainly the Swedish pension funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've seen a very uh, strong growth. And Sweden is actually the country where we see the biggest share uh, represented by green bonds out of the total bonds issue. Um, of course, Sweden is a much smaller economy. In, and in terms of actual size, uh, China is the second largest green bond market after the US. But as a share, Sweden is, is leading. Uh, and I think we have we can see a lot of, of uh, good examples. And uh, the team in Stockholm at our head office that works with uh, green bond, both advisory and the issuance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what in the beginning, the main one of the main advantages uh, was that we would see uh, in many companies where there would be a small department working with sustainability pretty much by itself. But once uh, we started discussing a green bond with the, the treasury people who are normally the people that we will talk to within a company, the treasury people who are responsible for financial management and borrowing and Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, hedging and financial strategy. Once th- those people who are quite at the core of a company, at the heart of it, starting to talk to these sustainability people, then the force of driving this change within the company became much stronger. Uh, once money gets involved, you usually can see a more quick change Yeah. <laughs> uh, than having some academics uh, writing papers or publishing reports. So I think that has been a huge change in the way companies look at this transformation and, and how on the road to sustainability. This, of course, happened uh, a long time ago, and now we've seen this movement uh, gain speed. But I think that was one of the big advantages. And we've seen um, many industrial companies issuing green bonds to invest in more sustainable mm. uh, production processes. Uh, whether it's using uh, hydrogen, we've seen some steelmakers, a Swedish steelmaker doing that. We've also financed many real estate companies who have uh, significantly reduced their energy consumption uh, and their emissions uh, and really see a huge uh, change you know, in terms of how they manage their real estate and how to ensure that it's sustainable also in terms of sewage treatment um, and uh, all kind of waste treatment makes uh, make sure that 100 is recyclable, uh, and of course, it feels very good also to be able to finance a transformation which will make our world more more sustainable. Yes, that uh, totally sounds uh, uh, like a green business and uh, very um, how to say uh, very meaningful also in the whole process. Okay. 
Um, my next question is actually um, on April 1st. Uh, Sui Chang posted a successful joke announcing the launch of the metaverse. <laughs> Many people like the post. Uh, so my question is, how do you see this super hot topic about the metaverse from the perspective view as a banker? Well, definitely. I mean, uh, banks uh, already since many years ago, um, you could actually call a bank an IT company because uh, it's all in our information systems. Okay. We don't produce any physical products or anything. It's all yeah. uh, zeros and one, as you could say. But of course, we're moving into cyberspace very quickly. And uh, of course, there are some who believe that... Uh, Bitcoin and other similar uh, means of payments will dominate. So uh, we as a bank, we have a special unit investing into uh, companies um, who are entering, I wouldn't say the metaverse, but almost, and to see, to make sure that we will not be left behind. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're not there yet, but um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we would see uh, more banking entering into the metaverse. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a very good, good joke, a good <laughs> joke. But of course, there is a, a real touch to it as well. Mm -hmm. I think that um, there's a lot um, that will uh, move into that space in the future. I still prefer the real world, though. So let's hope that we can stay there as well. Yeah, at least, you know, there's no COVID in metaverse world. That's right. That's one big advantage, actually. Yes. Uh, okay. So, um, actually, that's the end of the, all the questions. And I know you and your family will uh, going back to Sweden together for summer vacations in June, finally, since the COVID started. Hope everything goes very smooth with the flight and everything. Uh, wish you all a wonderful uh, summer vacation back in Sweden. Thank you very much. I hope you have the same here in China. Thank you for listening to Sweatpot, the very first podcast diving into the Swedish business world in the Chinese market, presented by the Swedish Chamber of Commerce in China. Since 1998, Sweatcham China has been dedicated to becoming the information, network, and facilitation platform for our member companies. We receive over 5,200 guests at more than 150 events on average throughout the year. We also provide publications twice a year to give our members the latest analysis of the business climate in China. If you are interested in collaborations with the Swatcham China, you are welcome to send us an email at swatchamchina at swatcham.cn. Also welcome to subscribe and share Sweatpod on Spotify, Buzzsprout, and Himalaya podcast platforms. See you next time.